Find that bar of chocolate you've been hiding. It's time to unwrap this week's Cocoa News. Why hypeinflation of cocoa flavanols is bad for the industry. Flavanols exist in nature with a purpose, and there is a collective body of evidence to support a number of health claims. I was interested to read a press release therefore, titled, New Harvard Cocoa Flavanol Study Shows 27% Reduction in Cardiovascular Death, How to Get Enough Cocoa Flavanols from Chocolate. We have previously discussed the Harvard study, but this press release was from a private company using the brand Flavanaturals. The clue is in the name, and I was interested in what they offered. The company's website aims to inform you about the benefits of flavanols from cocoa and then sell products that deliver the benefits. Something looked a little off about the site to me however. According to Flavanatural, their products contain 5 to 9 times the amount of flavanols than regular chocolate or cocoa. They say, Flava bars contain 500 mg of cocoa flavanols per bar five times the flavanols of an average dark chocolate bar. There appears to be some truth to this as a scientific paper describes, although at a rate of one to four times, rather than the five to nine times claimed. The paper, which is referenced in the article at bartalks.net, says, Genetic variability can also generate a one to four-fold difference in the antioxidant content of fresh cocoa beans. And the content of epicatechin has also been reported to vary from 2.66 micrograms to 1 microgram in Jamaican beans to 16.52 micrograms to 1 microgram for Costa Rican beans. The company claims to have a proprietary method of extracting the high levels of flavanols they claim. They say. Cradling every last flavanol. Flavanols are sensitive things and almost completely destroyed by conventional chocolate processing. Preserving them in our chocolate demands delicate handling every step of the way. The extraordinary concentration of cocoa flavanols in flava bars and flavamix is the result of protected and natural methods of cacao bean sourcing, harvesting, fermentation, roasting, and handling. This requires searching out the most premium high flavanol beans in the world, partnering with farmers to assure selection of only the best and freshest beans and maintaining precise control of the fermentation and roasting process to maximize both cocoa flavanols and rich chocolate flavor. All of this appears to push the boundaries of acceptable claims, assuming they do what they say, but there's the rub. Do you trust them to source the beans the way they say, and how often, if ever, are their batches tested by independent labs? Can they show the results? I was curious about what empirical testing might be possible, and I found this article in a scientific journal. Cocoa Flavanols, Measurement, Bioavailability and Bioactivity, PubMed, NIH.gov. There has been growing interest in the potential cardiovascular benefits associated with cocoa consumption. As a result of accurate analytical methodologies, there is evidence to support that the flavanols in cocoa can be absorbed, are bioactive, and may be responsible for the cardiovascular benefits associated with regular cocoa consumption. The flavanols in cocoa exist in a multitude of different stereochemical configurations, thus giving rise to a unique and complex mixture of compounds. Given this complexity, the quantitative analysis of cocoa flavanols in foods can be challenging. While there are published methods suitable for the analysis of these compounds, these methods require sophisticated instrumentation and can be challenging to set up. As such, Simpler techniques that measure such things as total phenolic content or antioxidant potential have been used as indicators of flavanol content. 
However, as these simpler assays are prone to interferences and are not specific for flavanols, these methods are not appropriate for use in studies that aim to examine the physiological effects of cocoa flavanols. It is only through the use of methods that can accurately quantify these flavanols that it will be possible to make meaningful dietary recommendations regarding the consumption of cocoa flavanol-containing foods. So it appears that perhaps the simple testing methods may not be a suitable basis for claims of effective flavanol content. I'm sure there's a better interpretation of the results. However, it seems reasonable to conclude from this that evaluating the true flavanol content is not as straightforward as some companies suggest. My trust was further eroded when I saw a reference to an external website to learn more about the science behind flavanols, named imaginatively. CocoFlavanolScience.com The website is a collection of papers about cocoa health that looks initially an independent site about the benefits of cocoa flavanols. But when I read the terms and conditions, I noticed the company behind it is J.I. Naturals, the same company selling the Flava Natural products. The fact that they have terms and conditions on an informational site is actually pretty bizarre. Under their conditions for being a reader of their website, you supposedly enter into an agreement in an indemnification clause under which you, the reader of the website, are supposed to cover any costs to J.I. Naturals arising from damages from your use of their website? This is what they say. You agree to defend, indemnify, and hold harmless J.I. Naturals and its affiliates and their directors, officers, employees and agents against any claims, demands, actions, damages or other liabilities, including expenses and attorney's fees, that arise from your use of this website. There are many places to buy great cocoa products, from people that care about what they produce and don't make hyperbolic claims about the health benefits. Personally, if I wanted to significantly elevate my levels of flavanols, I'd look to a reputable manufacturer of supplements, produced in a lab and following a scientific process where the product I was buying could give me exact and reproducible numbers. Hypeinflation is always associated with money-making opportunities, and unfortunately, the people that get into the game to make money rarely take the same care as those passionate businesses that have a long-term involvement in the industry. And the risk is that the inflated claims will negatively affect the reputation of other, quality cocoa businesses. Channel 4 ran a short documentary in which they exposed children working unhappily in Ghana, at locations identified by Mondelez internally as part of their sustainable cocoa life program. It's normal for children who help out their families when not at school, and as long as they're not engaged in a hazardous activity, such as spraying pesticide, this should be understandable. But this wasn't one of those cases. The children were not going to school and in one case hasn't seen her family for five years. The young girl was sent to help her uncle on the farm, although she was told she was going to help look after the children. During the last financial year, Mondelez global profits reached more than 3.3 billion pounds. It has a sustainability program called Coco Life, which, if you're cynically inclined, is a convenient way to control public messaging that might otherwise be awkward about their sustainability practices. The problem isn't with the people working at Coco Life, it's just that if a sustainability organization isn't independent from the company they're supposedly certifying, we can't trust their claims. It's like a bank owning their own auditor. In the documentary, none of the executives would accept a meeting with the journalists, so they flew to New York to see if showing up would result in more success. An assistant was dispatched to shoo them away, and I found this part of the program to be one of the most nauseating. 
Obviously, no one wants to face the cameras at a time like this, but that's their job, heck, that's their moral obligation. If the CEO, Van de Put, had turned up, looked with concern at the images, thanked the crew and said they would take away the evidence, conduct an investigation and then apply what is learned to improve the process, you might give them the benefit of the doubt. Instead, they just hid in their plush offices until the crew left. The company sent the journalists a response that was clearly written by lawyers and sounded robotic, disingenuous and frankly insulting to the intelligence of those they're supposed to be convincing. I wonder if Channel 4 had tried to contact Arthur and Cousin, who I was pleased had joined the board recently. Cousin has an impressive track record, including working in food and international roles such as serving as a distinguished fellow of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, a global affairs think tank. I'd like to think, if asked, she would have stepped up to the plate. If, in fact the company cared, they could be doing what the journalists did, but even cheaper, since they wouldn't need the camera crews. The fact that a small crew was able to pick locations off Mondelez's own Coco for Life sustainability map and walk in to immediately find a raft of issues points to either a massive failure of the Coco for Life program, specifically a failure to audit. Or, Coco for Life has been auditing, but the bosses at Mondelez have swept it under the rug. This raises the question of whether Mondelez actually wants to know the facts? I'm not sure we can accept this is the case. It may be easier to have plausible deniability than to know about the child labor problem, because knowing about it means having to do something. Paying the farmers more is going to change the cost equation in a way that would either make their chocolate uncompetitive versus competitors, or materially impact the business profits. Profits which drive the majority of the execs pay packet through bonuses and share options. If you don't own a problem, you won't ever fix it. I find it bothers me that nobody at Mondelez was willing to meet the reporters. Say what you will about Cargill, but when Al Jazeera did a similar documentary, they at least had the grit to meet and have it filmed, and came away looking like at least the people in the room cared. In my, perhaps over-fertile imagination, I played the scene in my head. Vanda Put has just crawled out from under his desk after he's been given assurances the reporters have left. Why do they always pick on the chocolate companies, he laments. We're not the only industry that uses children, what about electric cars? Do they know about the child labor to mine the cobalt used in the batteries? The assistant jerks her head up in case he is actually expecting her to answer. Nobody looks at your Toyota Prius and says, do you know where your battery comes from, is the supply chain transparent? Slumping back in his chair, his eyes drift to the motto on the company letterhead stacked on his desk. Snacking, made, right. Hmm. Cocobot exploring fertilizer alternatives due to Russia-Ukraine conflict. Gunna's cocoa regulator, Cocobot, has responded to concerns about fertilizer shortages as a result of the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Russia is the world's leading provider of ingredients like nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, which are used in the production of fertilizers. The sanctions imposed upon them by the West have understandably raised concerns about the supply and pricing for this important commodity. If Russian exports continue to be hindered by the sanctions, it could mean less fertilizer reaching countries like Ghana, and this could have a knock-on effect on the country's cocoa production, and therefore global cocoa supply as a whole. In response to the concerns, Cocobot have urged cocoa farmers to remain calm, reassuring them that at present the country has enough chemical fertilizer.
Speaking with Graphic Business, Mr. Fifi Bofa, Kokobod Senior Public Affairs Manager confirmed that the board has access to sufficient fertilizer supplies, but the ongoing replenishment of stock in the appropriate quantities and timeframes is not guaranteed. There is no challenge at the moment as we have fertilizer supplies, but of course, we cannot fold our arms and sit. We still do not know the extent of the crisis, things are fluid, but as you go on, you have to prepare, states Mr. Bofa. If the war in Ukraine continues, he also warns that sales into Russian and Ukrainian markets could suffer. Kokobot are now looking at alternatives to chemical fertilizers in order to reduce reliance on Russian exports. The current candidate to take its place is poultry manure. Going for poultry manure is within our control and that is why we are urging the farmers to consider it, said Mr. Bofa. Ghana's Minister of Food and Agriculture, Dr. Owusu Afriayakoto, is in support of the use of organic fertilizers as a replacement for the chemical counterpart, if a global shortage persists. Speaking to the National Fertilizer Council, Dr. Okoto said that a switch to organic fertilizer could protect the country from potential price hikes. We at the ministry have a strategy to at least alleviate the full impact of what is happening, which is to encourage farmers to apply organic fertilizer. We know that, for instance, poultry manure is being exported from this country to neighboring countries, which are using it on their farms. He continues, we should therefore be able to use these organic fertilizers locally to continue promoting our increase in production in the country. Implicit in this statement is that the country will reduce exports, potentially causing a domino effect for importing countries. We saw a similar move recently in 2020 when Vietnam halted exports of rice to prioritize internal food security. The use of fertilizers in Ghanaian farms is also on the rise, with average usage increasing from 8 kg per hectare in 2016 to 25 kg per hectare. Despite this, the country is still only at 50% of its goal to achieve an average of 50 kg per hectare, as set by the Economic Community of West Africa states. Dr. Okoto comments. Unfortunately, there is a setback in terms of what is happening on the world market. For instance, prices skyrocketed from $350 per metric ton for urea in Ghana, which went as high as $1,200 and started coming down. But with the Ukraine crisis, I do not know where it is now. So, we have a problem in terms of availability and price, he concludes. A fertilizer shortage would, of course, have a wider-reaching impact on commodity production outside of Ghana, but with the West African country commanding such a high proportion of global cocoa, their response to the situation is of particular interest to us. Nifin Group recently announced their latest project in partnership with Mondelez International, in which they will install solar panels across the rooftops of Mondelez International's Malaysian manufacturing plants, including a Cadbury's dairy milk chocolate plant located in Shah Alam. The project will see 1,266 solar panels installed at the Shah Alam plant and a further 1,754 panels in Prey. The switch is expected to offset 29,000 tons of CO2 emissions, equivalent to planting approximately 146,800 trees over the next 25 years. In the first year alone, the two plants are estimated to produce a combined 1.8 million kilowatt-hour of energy, which could result in a potential saving of up to 11.18 million ringgit, 2.66 million dollars 
over the following 25-year period. The partnership with Mondelez International Malaysia comes after the group found success in their previous projects with Mondelez International Thailand. Nifin Group's Head of Business Development and Managing Director, Mr. Chong Borhang commented. These manufacturing plants in Shah Alam and Prey are Nifin's first two photovoltaic installation projects with Mondelez International in Malaysia, after our first successful partnership with Mondelez International, Thailand, in Lad Krabat. Talks for other similar projects in Southeast Asia are underway, and we are working closely with Mondelez to achieve sustainability in their manufacturing plants. The switch to renewable energy across their Southeast Asia branches is in line with Mondelez International's ongoing 2050 net zero emissions target. Two of the specific goals that come under this target are to continue to convert global manufacturing electricity footprint to renewable energy and to start replacing thermal fuels, e.g. natural gas, diesel, gasoline, with green alternatives. Managing Director of Mondelez International for Malaysia and Singapore, Ms. Narmin Khan, explains, We have transparent sustainability goals to achieve by 2025 and are committed to scaling up our sustainability efforts to deliver meaningful change. She continues, This partnership with Nifin is progress towards our goal of creating a sustainable future for snacking and will help us reduce our end-to-end absolute CO2 emissions. Mondelez International Malaysia also reported that in 2021, their water consumption was down by 18.6% and waste by 11.3% across both of their plants, compared to the previous year. Thanks for listening to this week's Coco Newscast. You can also catch our other podcasts, including the Coffee Newscast and the popular Bean Talks with Nick and Max, which goes out every Monday. Stay safe and I'll see you all next week.